0: Ladies and gentlemen, please listen carefully to the following announcement. Okay, good morning, one and all. Uh, just to, to kind of finish off where Gus started us at the beginning of us sharing things that are going on in the life of Oasis, you'd have heard him kind of uh, express something of a word of knowledge in terms of a word that's specific to a situation that someone's facing of God wanting to say, actually, I'm aware of this and want you to know that in order that you can feel encouraged that God's with you. Just to know, someone did come up to Gus uh, who's visiting us today. Uh, they're from a different church. Uh, who would come today thinking, should I go to Brazil or not? I just don't know. And they come to Oasis, and God uses someone else who doesn't know anything about the situation say, That's great, isn't it? Um, just for those of you who are regulars around, uh, you'll kind of know where we're at. For those of you who don't, we're in a series that we've entitled Centred, where we recognize that our lives are just full. Our lives are full of just different things, and it's really important that within the fullness of our lives that we take moments, as we've done today, where we pause, literally just stop in our tracks. And as we pause, that we take a moment to say, what is it my life at this point in time is centered on? As we here at Oasis are recognizing that in our faith and trust in Jesus, our lives need to be ones that are therefore centered on him. And in the fullness of everything life has to throw, that sometimes it's at those points we can find that rather than orbiting and centering on Jesus, we can find ourselves being brought over to other things, and we find ourselves starting to orbit them, and our life doesn't work that well then. So it's important that we take time to pause to center again on this amazing God who is love, Father, Son, and Spirit. And the inner centering on Him, we then continue in our life with Him. And that's what we've been going through as a a church just since the beginning of the year, saying actually as a church, we want to be shaped as those that are centered on this amazing God of love and how that shapes everything that we do. And we've been looking at how it shapes us as individuals. Uh, And then over the last couple of Sundays, we've been looking about how it shapes us together as a community, as a church of believers of Jesus. That we're centered on God as individuals. But in centering on God As an individual, it then causes us to be centered together on God. You see, there's never a lone ranger when it comes to following Jesus. Isn't that Jesus said, actually, I'm going to call people to just independently follow me, and they can just live in their own little world. But rather, Jesus said, actually, I'm going to cause people to follow me and be built into my church. And so you find places where the writers and uh, those who ran with the message of Jesus after his uh, life, death, and resurrection, and he descended to be with the Father, That you find that these messages come out and these understandings of what does it look like then to be together. And so you find Paul writing to a church in Corinth and saying, Man, when you gather together as a bunch of people, you're not any old bunch of people. You're a body. And you're not any old body. You're the body of Jesus on earth. There's a value in who we are together as those centered around Jesus. We're not any old bunch of people, we're not some sort of social club. We're here for a reason. And as we've kind of started to look at it and say, well, there's, there isn't just a me, there's an us. And in our day and age, it's so important to pause actually and to be reminded of that. Where continuously we live to say, man, it's about you and it's about me, it's about what I want and what I need. It's important to know that actually it isn't just about me, it's about us. There's something bigger than me. And there's something greater that I get to be part of and belong to, and that's us because of Jesus. And as we've looked at that, we've then said, actually, what does it look like then to be shaped together? And we've looked at what it looks like to be shaped together as we come to worship God. We've looked at what it looks like to be shaped together as we come and we centre ourselves and together take communion, which Mike so amazingly unpacked for us last week. And if you didn't get time to listen to the talk last week, please can I encourage you to go and do so because it will do you good. Of that meal that Jesus gave, in order to physically show what he's spiritually done for us in feeding our greatest need that we've ever had and it was a meal that he designed that would never be kind of taken alone it would always be taken together and from that point i want us today to kind of look at that we're those that are centered together in prayer jesus valued prayer We're not going to look at some of the things that Jesus said. We haven't got time this morning, but you can look in Matthew 5, 6, 7, where Jesus kind of takes time to say, actually, prayer is important. He wants us to understand that prayer, this way that we are able to talk to God direct, we don't go through someone else, we go direct. That's pretty amazing. Isn't that we go direct out of a sense of religion? Look at me, look how amazing I am. I get to talk to God. It's rather that we go knowing that actually it's all about relationship. That we come and we speak to God because now he's our father. Jesus says we approach one who is our father and is after our best. See, that's why you pray. You recognize you've got this father who's a father in heaven. Who's over everything. Just so you know, the cheering isn't just like people outside who are so amazed that I'm here. It's OKC and they're having fun, which is our kid stuff. Um, Maybe we'll make some more noise in a moment, just so they can feel like we're having fun too. Um, <laughs> you can tell the guys who do OKC. Um, this, so Jesus says, you know, it isn't just any old God we've got. He said, God who's our Father, but but a Father who's over everything, in everything, is able. That's the one we get to talk to. That's the one we get to share about our lives and say, would you come and be with me? So Jesus saw prayer as vital. But it wasn't just prayer for us to live as individuals, but it's also prayer for us to live together as a community. And what I want us to do this morning is to look at some gathering of prayer that we see in the New Testament in Acts 4. And we're not going to look at the passage just yet. I want to set some scene. But before we get there, I want us to look at what it looked like in this early community that was gathering having centered themselves around Jesus and all he was and he'd done in them. And how prayer played such a vital role to everything they were together. And my hope and desire is that through this morning, what it does in our hearts, whether we're a follower of Jesus or not, is it captivates us of what prayer is. That prayer isn't just some sort of thing of mysticism of talking to the air, but rather it's something that is there for, is powerful. That for those of us who are followers of Jesus, that actually it catches up in terms of, again, the value of who we are together and the value of what it looks like for us to pray together. Not out of a sense of whipping something up or trying to boost the attendance at our prayer meetings, but rather out of a sense of understanding the privilege that you and I get to live with. A privilege that, to be honest, I continuously get undone. I just get undone with it when I realize that I get to talk to God who created everything, and he listens, and I get to belong to us together and there's something greater in us being together than me just being by myself and it humbles me i think man how have i managed to get caught up in this and my hope is as i've found it stimulating and undoing me i hope it does the same for you see where we're going to start off is this early church in acts and what we find in acts is at the beginning you have 120 people who say we're going to center our lives on new jesus they've seen that he taught these amazing messages he lived this amazing life and then he died the most unbelievable death a death that still people look back on and say, I, I, I've either got to deny it or, or kind of try and fudge the edges because it just blows my mind when I look and say, well, this person who seems so good and so amazing has such a following yet got to this point of such a brutal, brutal end. And so these believers have said, actually, we've seen that he died, but more than that, three days later, they then saw that he rose from the dead. And then he spent 40 days with them, just telling them about why it all needed to happen, what he'd then done, how he'd caused them now to be those that in centering their lives around him and his life, death and resurrection were no longer living in night, but were living in day. And what they had to do is then run with this message. After 40 days, he looks at them and says, man, you've got it. Now I'm going to leave you and go and be with the father. This is a quick aside. It isn't at that point when it says in Acts 1 that Jesus ascended. It isn't that he suddenly like floated up into the clouds and suddenly he's like mystical up in the clouds somewhere. And if you go high enough, you'll find him. It's rather that he's in a different realm. It's where God is. Yes. Father and son are there dwelling together. And so he disappeared from their appearance, saying, now I'm leaving with you the mission to tell everyone about this life I've given you that's all about day and nothing about night. And so they get hold of it and he says, oh, but one thing, you're gonna need power to live it. And what we find out is that after these 120 have have kind of gathered and they're told to not leave the city there in Jerusalem so they kind of hang out there in a room. Must have got smelly after a few days and they're just hanging out there. And then it says, then God came. They're there praying and God came and empowered them by his spirit came as Bill shared at the end, came and welled up from within, as Jesus had promised, came and poured out upon, as Jesus had promised, that God is spirit and comes and dwells within us. And we haven't got time to unpack that one. That's a pretty big one. That God came and dwelt in them. And as a result, it just caused them to break out of the room. They couldn't be contained in a room anymore. We find at the end of that day, Peter, the guy who denied Jesus, stands up in front of this huge crowd, and says, this is who Jesus is. This is why he died, but he rose again, and this is the life he gives. He says so 3,000 men, plus women and children, responded and said, we're going to make Jesus center then. So you find at the end of day one, the community's grown from 120 to 3,000 plus. Now, that's, that's quite an amazing shift, isn't it? You know, there's kind of this size. You think, well, I kind of know people. A bit over 120 in here, but I kind of recognize faces. The suddenly end of play, next gathering. We look around and think, three thousand We're meeting in the car park. Then we find that this community, as they centered on Jesus, live differently. We find this Acts two forty two. Hopefully it'll come up on the screen. I don't it says this. They devoted themselves. That's the three thousand plus. They devoted themselves, they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was Jesus' friends who'd been around him. All that Jesus shared with him, they're just devoting themselves to everything they, they've got to share, just about who this, what Jesus said and how he said to live. He says, and they gave themselves to fellowship, to hanging out, to living life on life, to the breaking of bread, to communion, and to prayer. You've got this crowd of people just giving themselves to this. A crowd of people that weren't disconnected. They belong together. And what we find is that from this point of them giving themselves to these things, including prayer, we find that then stuff starts to happen. We find the next chapter, chapter 3, we find Peter and John, a couple of Jesus' close friends are out walking in the city. They get to this one guy, a guy who's known throughout the city and he's, he's crippled. He, he can't walk. And he asks them for money because that's the only way he's going to make a living. No one's going to give him kind of benefits. There's no benefit system. Thank God we live in a time where there is a benefit system as a quick aside. But this guy, he just has to sit there begging for money. Peter and John look at him and say, actually, we've got nothing. He's thinking, man, why have you stopped then? They said, because what we've got is Jesus. What we've got is Jesus. They said in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, and he does, and everyone looks, and everyone's amazed, and everyone's like, this is crazy, the whole of the city kind of starts to go in uproar, people think, what's going on, then what happens again, Peter, remember him, the guy who denies Jesus, the guy, a couple of days before, stood in front of a crowd of people, 3,000 responded to Jesus, to the message of Jesus, he stands up again, He says, oh, what this is about? Oh, it's all about Jesus. It's all about centering your life on Jesus. He doesn't use that word, obviously. It's all about the fact that he's come to bring day rather than night. What happens? The crowd grows. We're told that it's now 5,000 plus people that have centred their life on Jesus together. That's a big together. (laughs) 120, 3,000. Over 5,000. What I'm saying is over because because the, the day and age it was written in, they, they're kind of saying it's men. 5,000 men. Now, that means there would have been households. It means that it basically gets to a point where you think, I can't really count anymore. <laughs> it's just a load of people. But they're people who are connected. It's not a crowd of people who just, oh, we're there for that day. We'll just go off now. Actually, you know, this is, there was a much bigger crowd. But within that, there's this bunch of people who are together who say, we're going to center our lives on Jesus. And i tell you what people noticed. And so what happens is the religious leaders notice what's going on. And they say, this, this can't work. And so they call Peter and John in. They say, right, we're going to ban you from talking about Jesus. We see what you did is pretty amazing. And you're saying you didn't do it. You said it was Jesus. And we can't deny that this guy is healed. But you mustn't talk about Jesus anymore. It so says Peter and John look at them and say, well, okay. But here's the deal. Is it better to do what God says than you? And the guys say, the religious leaders say, well, what do we do here? So they make threats and say, we better not. And then they let them go. So what happens next? This is the key part. This is what we're going to look at. From that scene-setting moment that we find these two guys, Peter and John, get back to the church, get back to the community, get back together. And then we find out how they respond. This is what it says, Acts 4, 23 to 32. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. (laughs) Their own people. We're talking, it has to be called that way. This isn't like they go back to their little chumps. This is their own people. It's like a people now. 5,000 plus people. They go back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and the elders and said to them, When they, that's everyone present, heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. I don't know what your perception is of church prayer meetings, but I want to redefine it today. Because I think this is what it's meant to be like. See, when we gather to pray, we gather together. That's the point. There's points when we gather together. This is a moment. We gather on a Sunday, and because we're culturally set, we think, oh, yeah, Sunday, that's God day. We'll go, and we'll gather together. Actually, it's no different. When we gather to pray, it's the same deal. It isn't for the keen few. It's for everyone. You see, what we find here is on their release, Peter and John went to everyone. They didn't go say, oh, no, let's just get the gang together. Let's get, Let's let, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll spread it out a bit. Let's get the 120. You know, the original crew. We're going, to not, we're going to leave the 3,000. We're going to leave the 5,000. Let's just get the 120, where it's at. No, it just says they went to their people. The ones they gathered with all together. Why? Because they're together. It was that Peter and John were part of the whole, and the whole were part of Peter and John. What happened to them happened to everyone. See, these guys knew what it was to value being together. That's what happened when they gathered to pray. They valued being together. They realized that it wasn't about just them. It was about, their, it was about us. It was about all of them. And therefore, they wanted to hear it. They realized that actually, regardless of whether anyone else knew that they were there, they knew it was valuable of them being there. Regardless if Peter and John knew that, whatever his name is, Barnabas over in the corner whether they knew Barnabas was there or not or Sophia it didn't matter they knew that they wanted to be there because they were part of this every individual valued they were part of something bigger which is this community of people that were centered on God and in these moments when they ever gathered together it reminded them that they weren't alone they weren't living in this world centered on Jesus by themselves they were centered with a company of people a company of people that wanted to continually come together and say, we're shaped by this. And we need to value being together. Don't hear this as a heaviness. Please hear it in the context of our culture. I recognize that from time to time, we just live with lives that just mean that, actually maybe because of children, maybe because of work pressures, just means that sometimes we can't be there. and We can't be in the together moment. That's all right. But that isn't the case all the time. We need to make sure that the culture of our day that's about individualism, it's about the I-culture, that we don't allow that to shape our faith in Jesus, our gathering in these moments together. We need to see it that actually it's of great value when we gather, whenever, whether it's on a Sunday, whether it's in prayer, whether it's to go and do something together, it's a great value to be together And it's that value that we see individually and say, actually, it matters if I'm there or not because I'm part of this. And for some of us, we just need to hear that, that you're valuable. And we want you to be part of this. Not as a heavy thing, but because it's what we are. And we get to be what these guys are. See, these guys didn't just value being together. They value being together and praying. That's the thing. You see, as soon as they hear it, they don't go, well, what's the plan then? How are we going to deal with this? What's the strategy here? I know maybe we could kind of subtly go out in smaller groups and just subtly like do a questionnaire or something. Say, can I tell you about, can I ask you a few questions about what you believe? And as we ask them a question, we could then maybe get Jesus in. And they don't do that. They say, well, what's our immediate knee-jerk reaction? Pray. That's it. Together they say, let's pray. They saw that when they gathered together, that prayer was vital. It wasn't kind of a cry of desperation. Sometimes we can get kind of this permeation of the, of the culture we're living in, of seeing that prayer. And you hear these stories that in the crisis moment, people who've denied God, they say, oh, yeah, oh, God, would you help? That isn't wrong, but it isn't how women live. We don't go to God when there's a the crisis moment. We just go to God because we know we need him. And these guys knew that. They just thought, actually, we just need to pray. That's the best and greatest thing that we can do. Why? Because we're in a relationship with God. We're centered around him. And therefore, when we come together, we're going to pray to him. We're going to give ourselves to it. Why? Because we know we're in need. We always were in need. We never brought anything to the table. We never were able to make ourselves right with God. We needed Jesus to do that. Why is our life going to look any different now? So Jesus, at this moment, we need you. And they come as Jesus had taught them. They say, Father, would you come and would you act? Don't take us out of a situation. Would you come and act with us in it? We need you. Prayer is vital. And it is these moments that actually reveal ourselves and reveal together that we're not kind of any old bunch of people. We're this highly dependent people. A highly dependent people who have no problem in saying it. Even if people look and say, man, you're a bit needy. Yeah, (laughs) we really are. Because we've realized that we're quite weak and frail, and yet we have access to this God who's strong and powerful. And therefore, we want to continually come and turn whatever situation we're facing, whatever life that we're seeking to live, we're saying, actually, God, at the center, we want you. And to do that, we just need you. And it's crazy talk to think we can do this ourselves. And so we gather together. We gather together to pray. He go. I want to throw a little marker. I've not even, I just thought of this this morning, which is always dangerous because I should talk things through with the team. But I know they'd be cool with this. We pray at the moment in the Oasis suite and I just thought, man, that's like a lid. I know that there's only like capacity. We can get like 100 or so in there. I've got no problem with us booking bigger rooms when we come together to pray. And so I know we as a team are not going to have a problem with it. And so if we have to meet in here on a kind of Wednesday night when we gather to pray, that's all right. We just want to know there's space. Part of us moving to a Wednesday night was in order that we could get more people around. So I want to invite you, come on, let's get in this together. But when we come together, we come with perspective. That's what you find here. That's why the telescope's there, because you're all thinking, why is it there? Well, it's because perspective is needed when we come together to pray. See, there's a danger when we pray to God that we come to the God of our thinking and making. And for these guys, as they faced the situation they were facing, they needed to remember who God was. They needed a telescope moment. Telescopes are amazing because what you do is you set them up in your house. I don't know, in your conservatory or bedroom. This isn't my one. This is Sinead's one. It's very cool. She kind of said to me, she said, how did you know I got it? It's because whenever I go in people's houses, I'm always looking around. i thinking, man, what stuff have they got that I've not and I could use one day? And so I thought, 12 months ago, I saw this telescope and I thought, one day. <laughs> and it is the day. And so anyway, but this telescope, and me and my family are going around to Sinead and Chris's house to look through this. Sinead, t- I'm sorry, I'm going to go off. I won't go off on one. Anyway, telescope, what does it do? You've got it, it's set up in your bedroom, your conservatory. And in that moment, suddenly you're taken from your little room thinking that's the world, world, and I'm the center of it, to suddenly looking through this lens and looking out at the universe or at the galaxy, suddenly realizing that we're like on a small planet that's part of a solar system, that the solar system is part of a group of galaxies that's part of extending galaxies and galaxies until we get to this universe that no one knows the limits to. We suddenly realize that there is something far bigger and greater than ourselves, and it puts everything in perspective. We need telescope moments whenever we gather to pray. And that's what these guys did. And so we find that they get to these moments, and we haven't got time today to look and read all of it, but there's three things I want to draw out of this that they find. They first of all take a telescope moment, and they remember that God is sovereign. That God's in control. And they, they show it by referring back to Psalm 2, the Psalm of David, talking about, actually, why is it that all the nations are always against you, God? They're always trying to do stuff, and yet... One day, you're going to show that there is one who's going to come and bring peace to all nations and actually gather all nations to themselves, to yourself. It'll be your chosen anointed one, the Messiah who we now know is Jesus. I said, man, God, you're suffering. Back in David's day, back hundreds of years, thousands of years before Jesus came to the earth, you'd already promised that this was going to happen. you already promised that actually even all that surrounded Jesus all the question that led up to his death—actually, that was all kind of you were orchestrating that. God, you're sovereign; you are ultimately in control. That's really important. We remember that when we come to pray to God, He's not He's not like a weak kind of clock watchmaker who's kind of made the watch, kind of letting it tick in, and has stepped back and say, "Well, let's just see how that one rolls out." And he's one whose sovereignty and control is working in and out of the situations. As Gus said, wants us to be involved in it through using the prayers that we pray to be kind of part of the story. So they say, God, you're sovereign. He says, and you made the heavens and the earth. God, you're creator. Man, God, you're behind everything. I remember being, uh, the other summer, I go away with a group of of uh, some of my unbelief and friends, got different, lots of different groups, and different ones of us do different things. There's my group I spent last night with, which we do pub quizzes together, got this other group, and we kind of go camping together. And so we were going camping, and we all camp in Shropshire, and we're all hanging out, and we basically, it involves basically doing a couple of walks, going to the pub, uh, doing a couple of walks, and chatting. And so we're chatting back late as we're walking home, and as we're walking back to our tents, and as we're walking back, we're in the country, so you can just see the sky littered with stars. And as we're walking back, my friend Nikki, she says to me, "Agent, the thing I don't understand about you is that you just seem like a normal guy and yet you believe in Jesus. <laughs> she says, I look at the sky and I see all those stars and I think, how can you possibly believe there's a God when you look at all of that? And as I was walking with her, I said, how can you possibly believe there is not a God when you look at all that? And so then we talked about how, actually maybe there is something bigger than us. Maybe there's something bigger that actually caused all of this to not come out of chaos, chaos, but purpose. And if it came out of purpose rather than chaos, maybe there's a greater meaning to what our lives are about. God is in control because God is the creator God. He's all-powerful. He created the heavens, the stars the, that we see up in the sky and the intricacies that we see on this planet. We haven't got time to look at that. Absolutely amazing. and God is behind it, orchestrating it. So he said, God... Your sovereign. God, you creator. And God, you're the God of salvation. Reminds us of Jesus, God, you're the one who is with your chosen one, the servant Jesus, the anointed one, and allowed everything to play out in order that your salvation plan could happen. The fact that you and I could do nothing to make ourselves right with God, could do nothing to hide our shame, could do nothing to say that, because of the stuff that's been done to me, because of the stuff that I've done, I, I know that I don't feel acceptable. And when I stand before one who is pure and holy and right, I feel very dirty. We could do nothing about it. We were weak. And yet God, out of his love, out of his mercy, made your way through his son, Jesus, in order that our shame could be taken away and replaced by his love and acceptance. As they remember, and they say, who are you? Perspective through the telescope. You're, you're sovereign. You're in control. Who are you? You're the one who created everything. Who are you? You're the one who orchestrated our salvation, our rescue. We brought nothing to the table. Man, why would we think at this point we get to have to do it all? It's at these moments as we come together, we remember, I'm weak, you're strong. I'm in need, you're able. And that's the one we come to pray for. So we pray with Perspective. And then I'd say there's a language we use as we pray. There's different languages that are always developing around us. There's the text language that I'm still catching up on. I refuse to use it. It's the only place where I want to try and use grammar correctly. I have a problem with shorthanded nature of texting. It's my middle-aged nature coming out. I'm embracing turning 40 this year. I want to make sure that I do a campaign that stops this LOL stuff and everything. I don't get it. I never know when someone puts it on the end, whether they're meaning lots of love, which I genuinely meant, thought it was, until it seemed to be laugh out loud. And I felt confused by that and I just see that language develops but on this one please can we can we not because I'm finding it hard work but in it there's a language just as there is with text there's a language in terms of prayer and we see it through what these guys do they say this now the Lord consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus I just want to give us three E's in our language of prayer Whenever we come to gather to pray, let's firstly do what they did. Consider. Give it to God to consider. And trust what we've got going on to God. Whatever the situations we're facing, both individually as a church, because actually the, in situations that we face individually actually affect all of us as a church because we're a body. When one part suffer, all parts suffer. When one part celebrates, all parts celebrate. There are moments we come together and we say, actually, God, we just entrust this to you. There are moments where we come together where we say, God, would you enable us? God, we've got this life we want to reveal of what it looks like to have you at the center. And we just say, would you enable us to live this out? We know if it's just down to me, I promise you, if it's just down to me, Adrian in my own strength, I just fall short. God, I need you to help me live everything you've called us to live. And there's moments where we have moments we entrust, moments we kind of have where we're saying, would you enable us? And moments where we're coming, we're saying, would you extend? God, would you extend what only you can do? That's who we are as a people. There are sometimes things that happen that you and I can't do. Those are great moments, because that's just God. (laughs) The moments where we say, God, can you come and do what only you can do? I remember last year when we were facing with our social action initiative, the bridge, three houses helping men and women uh, come through a point of recovery from addiction. Came a point 14 months ago where we just realized the money was running out and we could not see a way forward. And so we came and we prayed like this. We said, God, we entrust this to you. We don't think it's going to end. We can see how there's hope needed. So we entrust this to you. God, we pray would you enable us to have wisdom of how to do this forward. And God came and enabled us to find ways forward. However, there came this point that even with the plans in place, a fresh sense of this is the direction we're going to take, actually we still needed God to come and do what only he could do in terms of providing finances and providing men and women who would come and find recovery. And it's at these moments that I like it. Because it's the moments we stand back and we say, all right, 14 months later, what's happening? Well, God did what only he could do. He extended And so we suddenly find that going from a point of nearly zero money to having enough money to keep going month on month and it never shrinks back, we keep the same amount of money in there that keeps the the bridge going. But more than that, we see the houses full at their biggest capacity of residence that they've ever had in the history of the bridge. More than that, we see more life change going on in the individuals that are in the bridge than we've ever seen before. I've got a guy who's part of the bridge who's part of us as a community who in two Sundays time is gonna be sharing with us how it's his big marker or maybe it's three Sundays of his 12 months dry. And do you know where he wants to tell? Here, because he's with us together and he wants us to share in the story. Why? Because it's a story of this where we say, God, we entrust this. God, would you enable us? God, would you extend? To round us off then, what happens as we gather to pray is this stuff, perspective, we entrust, ask God to enable, ask God to extend. And then after that, we expect to encounter. Now, this isn't any old bunch of people kind of talking and saying, let's just speak to the, the air, the, the ceiling, and something will happen. And then we'll go away thinking, well, that was nice, got out off my chest. Now, this is a moment where it's going to be two-way. There's an expectation that God is going to come and speak as he's been spoken to. And so what happens when these guys come together? They pray and they say, God, would you enable us? God, would you come and re- work in this situation? Would you extend and perform miracles? And it says, after they prayed, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Does that therefore mean that whenever we gather together and there's the building shaking, we've kind of not done it? No. It means that we need to expect, though, that God is going to to come and encounter with us. That God's going to come and want to speak to us. That God's going to come and enable us. He's going to always come and equip us. He's going to come and continuously pour out his spirit. Why? Because Jesus said, whenever you ask, God the Father is always going to give his spirit. That will happen whenever we gather together. Oh, and there'll be moments where you can't quite just add it up. Mm -hmm. So there might be a moment where the building shakes. We mustn't limit that. But can I say this? In the encounter moment, which will happen whenever we gather together, because God's going to say, actually, as you've called on me, I want you to know that I'm with you. I want to speak with you. It's the encounter moment happens when? As they're going to go. He doesn't say, the room shook, they got filled with the Spirit, and then they say, lock the doors. Let's hang out here now. This is pretty cool. Let's see if we can get this room a-shaking again. It's shaky room time. And let's now get the spirit on. This isn't that. It's that as they get to the end, they say, God, would you give us boldness? It says, right, we're about done on the praying. Let's now get out there and see what happens. It says the room shook. God's with you. They get filled with the spirit, and then they leave the room. And get on in their own lives. To do what? Speak about Jesus boldly. Expecting that signs are going to follow to reveal him. Let's never kind of camp out in the encounter. Let's understand the encounters only ever happen in order that we get out. It's how how the Spirit came. Pentecost, all locked in a room. Spirit comes out in the street to reveal Jesus. Whenever we come together to pray, there'll be moments where God comes in order that we get out and reveal the wonder of who Jesus is and what it looks like to center our lives on him. If you're looking to camp out in encounters, this isn't the church for you. But my guess is because you're here, you're not looking for that. You're looking to say, let's encounter God and change the world. When we come together to pray, God listens, God meets with us, and then God uses us to change this city, the nation, and the nations. Being a community that's centered in prayer is a privilege. And with that privilege always comes responsibility, and I want to invite you, therefore, to come with us on the journey to value what it is to pray together to join us as we pray. Man, there's no register on the 12th of March. It's not like we're going to stand at the door thinking, who's here, who's not? Man, we're praying on the 12th of March together. And I invite you, not as a heavy-handed thing, but just say, come and join us. Why? Because we're in this together, because we want this. And as we pray, valuing it, joining together, let's stand together. Let's stand together in moments of suffering. Let's stand together in moments of celebration, knowing that actually we're we're so much greater. It's how Jesus placed us to be together than individually. I want us to stand to finish just so we can feel like we've stretched our legs. I'll pray so we know there's a bit of closure. And then at the end, if we pray, I'm going to invite you to come forward. If you've come and you, you just know actually you need to be stood with, you just know there's stuff going on in your life at the moment and you just need to know that others are aware of it and can stand with you before God to say, God, would you come and be involved in this? We'd just love to pray with you. And so that ends end, So I finished praying, if you want to come forward, others are then going to leave the room and get their kids. Others are going to go to the back and grab tea and coffee and the one donut that's left. Um, the rest of, Should we just close our eyes for a moment? I just want us to pray. God, I thank you for the unbelievable privilege we have in being able to speak direct to you. There's just this marker of our relationship with you. That God, we don't come as strangers, but those that are now in relationship with you, able to speak directly to you, understanding that we speak to one who's a father, who's a father after our best. And I pray, Father, would you cause us as a community to live richly in the privilege of prayer, of the privilege of prayer together, of the valuing of who we are together. And I, God, as we pray, as we we live in that, I pray, God, that we'd live also with the responsibility to be those that then continuously live with the perspective of who you are, God, and how you so desire to work in and through us in every situation. So, God, I pray, would you, Keep us on the journey we're on as a church in prayer. I pray, would you accelerate it this coming year? God, I wanna pray for, for moments that we look back on and say, man, do you remember that? We're able to then tell stories of what you've done in and through us as you've extended your hand in this city and beyond. We ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Okay, come forward, go back, go out.